<laughs> I would not be. Appreciate the work of our translators. Uh, Deborah Boyles had a guest here this morning, Mrs. Bishop, and our neighbor, uh, Terry. Uh, Deborah has reached out to her as well. And uh, so on her visitor's card, she wrote, I'm a guest of Mrs. Bishop and Deborah Boyles. Uh, so that was just kind of. That's just kind of neat to see how our lives are interconnected with, with other, other people. Let our children be dismissed for children's Bible time, second grade on down. Children's Bible time with Mr. Frank. Uh, we are in Joshua chapter 6. Great chapter. Uh, last week, chapter 5, we dealt with the necessity of the preparation for battle. Uh, the children of Israel, they left Egypt. They were prepped. Outwardly, they were prepared outwardly, but they were not prepared inwardly. And uh, they, they did not get to, to, to conquer the land. They did not get to uh, enter into Canaan. So, they wasted 40 years wandering. <clears throat> the conquering generation is now, mom and dad weren't ready. They were ready outwardly, but they weren't ready inwardly. And they raised a group of young people that weren't ready inwardly and weren't ready outwardly. They weren't ready either way. I just say that Joshua chapter 6 tonight is going to be a wonderful testimony of what God will do, can do, and will do if you will prepare outwardly and inwardly. Are you ready to do that? So these folks weren't ready to go. But chapter 5, they got ready. Now, in chapter 6, you're going to have a great victory. Uh, <clears throat> so, last week we left in the conclusion, I gave you a list. And the question last week was, are you ready to conquer Canaan? Are you ready to do something for God? God is still looking for a generation. And it does not matter if your parents were faithful, young people, you can do a great work for God in conquering Canaan regardless of what mom and dad have done or have not done, again, if you will prepare inwardly and outwardly. And so here's the list. that we that This is where we left last week. Are you ready to conquer Canaan? Not if there's sin in your life. Not if there's rebellion in your heart. Not if there are uncontrolled appetites for the things of the world. Not if you are filled with doubt and fear. Not if you have forgotten where the, Lord, where the Lord brought you from. Not if you, instead of Jesus, is in control of your life. So the question is, do you, not, do you want victory? If so, you have to, you must deal with those things in your life that are keeping, it from, keeping you from having it. You can leave this place tonight ready to conquer Canaan. You can. You can. We're in Joshua chapter 6, uh, verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none went in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty man of valor. I'm just thinking that I go, it doesn't look like I got him. <laughs> but if, if you say so. You, you look at this place, and we'll talk about it in the morning and it's, uh, in just a moment, and it's fortifications. And if you were looking at that and God said to you, see, I've given it to you. We have a tendency to say, yeah, it doesn't look, doesn't look that way. 
to me. But he said, this is what you got to do. You shall compass the city, verse 3, all ye men of war, go round about the city once. And thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests, and you'll notice seven several times in, the, in verse 4. Uh, seven, the number of completeness. Uh, seven trumpets of ram's horns. Seven, and on the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass, verse 5, that when they make a long blast, with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Uh, again, that's a pretty notable miracle. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, uh, that We're going to do exactly what God said. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, seven priests bearing seven trumpets, ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And uh, he said unto the people, Pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. I love verse 8. I love this phrase. And it came to pass. <laughs> it might not. It may look impenetrable to you. It may look insurmountable to you. But it came to pass. God said it, and it is so, and God saw that it was good. We're going right back to the uh, beginning of Genesis. <clears throat> it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven Priest bearing the seven trumpets. Again, here it is. Seven, seven, seven. God's number of completeness passed, completeness passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest that blew the trumpets. And the rear reward. Brother Bob, where are you? Brother Bob's favorite word. The rear word uh, came after the ark. And the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then you shall shout. Walking around the city, I'm sure there were shouts from the walls. And Mrs. Bishop and I were walking along the road. I think it was yesterday out so winning. Um, I think, it, no, maybe it was... Maybe it was uh, Thursday we were walking together down, down on a sidewalk. And somebody was passing by in a car, some teenager out the window yelling something at us. I don't, I don't, I, people are going to yell at things off the wall. You don't have to respond back. Why? God's got it. God got it. So the ark of the Lord comes to the city, going about it once. They came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. Seven priests... Uh, here it is again. God puts it in there. Uh, God's, in, God's in control. The number of complete, completeness. Seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. The second day, they compassed the city once and returned to the camp. So did they six, So they did six days. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, And it came to pass about the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. I wonder if there's somebody in the crowd that said, I'm not shouting. It's a, dumb, it's a dumb thing. God, there's no way we're getting in there. No way God's going to make that happen. But they shouted, as God commanded, verse 17, the city and the curse of thing even in it and all that therein 
to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that were with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the cursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, all the silver and gold, verse 19, the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox, and sheep, and ass, with the edge of the sword. Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, God keeps His promises. Go into the harlot's house, bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. They brought out all of her kin, all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Joshua saved Rahab's the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out the land. Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn. And in his youngest son shall he set up the gates thereof. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noise throughout all the country. That does not, verse 26, does not say that God's never going to rebuild, that no one is ever going to rebuild that city. It says when somebody does rebuild that city, this is about 800 years before the city was rebuilt. People say, well, the city was rebuilt. It was. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16, verse 34. In his days did Hiel, the Bethelite, build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn. Set up gates thereof and his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. I just uh, throw that in there and go back to chapter 6 of Joshua, if you like. I throw that in there because there are people today that specifically look in God's Word to find something that God said to go in the contrary direction. And that is not going to end well. That is not going to end well. What's going on in Israel today? It is not going to end well for the enemies of Israel. It is not. Why? Because God said, you can do that. You can march against Israel, but I, I'm going to wipe you out. How much? Uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is coming today when five, six, five out of every six will be destroyed. It's not going to be a factor anymore. Uh, anyways, don't go contrary to God's word. Let's uh, before we uh, go any farther, let's stop uh, for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you be with us this evening as we look at this historic text and this historic event. And we are reminded that uh, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. 
And may we so take encouragement that you are still able today to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. May we be people of faith, doing what you've commanded, as you've commanded it, when you command it to be done. Help us to be obedient and to take courage tonight. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This ancient city of Jericho was well built. It was an incredible fortification. It had not one outer wall, but it had two outer walls surrounding the city. The, the, out, the outside wall, the very outside wall, was six feet thick. It was 20 feet high. There was a 15-foot no-man's land. And you hit the second wall. The second wall was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. So as you're an approaching army, you come to the first obstacle you've got to get over. And I'm sure they were up on the second wall shooting arrows as the people approached the second wall. And as you climbed over that 20 foot high wall and came down into that 15 foot of no man's land, it was a killing field. I'm sure anybody that approached that would say, this is not a good plan. This is not a good plan. Let's take it on another day. Let's surround the city and starve them out. Uh, how, many, how long is that going to take? Months and months and months. Could take a year. Depending upon what kind of resources they had within the city. From a military perspective, it was practically impenetrable. And God said, I'm bringing it down in seven days. If you will obey. I'll just say that this obstacle had to be destroyed first. It had to be dealt with first before they could conquer into land, before they could be successful. You military, from a military perspective, you don't go forward towards an objective and leave an enemy to your rear. And you just don't do that. And, and not live. To, it, you will not live to tell about it if you do. Because that enemy from the rear is going to come up and that, now you're... Now you're being attacked. You're attacking from the front and you've got an enemy coming from behind. Uh, there, you are not going to be successful. This had to be dealt with. It had to be dealt with by God's people. They couldn't say, you know what? We'll, we'll go around this one and we'll come back and deal with it on another day. <clears throat> so I ask you this evening, what is keeping you from victory? As you think about going through the Christian life and becoming successful for the Lord what is that one big thing, and everybody's got one, what is that one big thing in your life that is keeping you from going forward? You think, oh, I'm going to do with it later, but it just keeps coming up and attacking you from the rear and rendering you ineffective. You're trying to do things for the Lord, but that one thing hasn't been dealt with yet. And, and you know what your one thing is. You've got to deal with it. For some people, it's bitterness. Some people, it's unforgiveness. Teenager, it might be a bad attitude. Adult, it might be a past besetting sin. It might be a hurt. It might be a slight. 
But you've got to deal with that or that thing is going to come up from your past. And while you're trying to do battle with Satan head on, he's going to get you from the rear. And you're going to say, man, man, I didn't see that coming because you didn't deal with it. It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. I tell you this. My oft quoted, most quoted verse of any verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You come talk to me after the service and say, Preacher, I just feel like I'm the only one dealing with this particular issue. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Common to man. Satan wants to isolate you. I mentioned that this morning. He wants you to think that you are the only one that is dealing with bitterness. He wants you to think that you're the only one dealing with loneliness. He wants you to think that you're the only one that's got difficult kids. He wants you to think about you're the only one. But you're not the only one. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common, common, common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God will help you. God is faithful. He is still able to do exceeding abundantly. I draw your attention to chapter 5, verse 13. That's where we were last week. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua boldly went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Do you think from a military standpoint... That's not a smart thing to do. What did he do? He got on his face. That is not a point of strength. That is a point of humility. That is a, you, From a military standpoint, that does not make good sense. But from a Christian standpoint, in humility, bowing your face before God is a wise thing to do. Humility. What saith the Lord unto his servant? Notice verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy... What? Loose thy... Shoe... Singular. He didn't say, Loose thy shoes... Or take off your shoes. He said, loose thy shoes. Do you understand the significance of that? If you're on Sunday morning, we've been going through the book of Ruth. And uh, next week, we're going to deal with Boaz goes to the city gate. And he says to the guy, are you able to do the part of the kinsman? And the guy says, I am not. And as a testimony, he gives a shoe. And so here's Joshua He's yielding a shoe, which says what? In, in the culture, it says, I'm not able to do this, but I know you are. Those little nuances that you miss in Scripture. So here's Joshua. He has taken a, a standpoint in humility that any military guy would say, that's dumb. He has loosed his shoe, yielding, Showing, I'm not able to do this, 
but you are. And now we're on the brink of victory. Again, if you want to know why you are not achieving victory, it's probably found in those aspects of Joshua's life. Submission to God, yielding the shoe, saying to God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need you to do it. Joshua is not going to conquer Jericho on his own. You and I are not going to conquer Jericho on our, on our own. We need God to do a miracle. And God's going to bring it down in, on the seventh day at seven times. They've got to do one time on day one, one time on day two, one time on day three. They've got to go all the way around for seven days. What if they would have stopped on the sixth day? They would not have had victory. What if they had stopped at the sixth time on the seventh day? They would not have had victory because God expects you to do what he has commanded you to do all the way right down to the last detail. So the question is, as we come into victory of chapter six, are you a dedicated warrior who is willing to get down on your knees in a position of submission to the Lord and say, I can't do this. I need you to work in my life. And God still works. In the hearts of people who are submissive to him. Question is, are you a dedicated warrior? Are you a separated warrior? Are you worshiping in humility? Or are there off-limit areas in your life? God, you can have every area, but you can't have my music. And God, you can have every area, but you can't have my submission. And God, you can have every area, but you can't have my Sunday. And God, you can have every area, but if there's a but, uh, if he is not God, if he is not the Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. In the New Testament, it just marvels when I, the Lord is sharing with his disciples how he is going to go to the cross and he's going to be cruci- he's going to crucified. And Peter says, not so, Lord. That doesn't even go together. You, you cannot look at God and say, not so. Lord, you can say, speak, Lord, for thy servant here. You can get down on your face before him and say, and yield the shoe and say, I I am not able to do this, but I, 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 I yield to the one who can. But to say, not so, Lord, he's not Lord. If you're saying not so, he told you to do something and you said, no, 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 no. Not, not today. I'm going to do that. Shoes in politics make the news. December 14, 2008, President George W. Bush at the time was holding a press conference in Baghdad, Iraq. And one of the attendees took his shoe off and threw it at the president. And he ducked and it missed him. You say, wow, I, yeah, I, some of you will remember that. Some of you weren't born yet. <laughs> Always makes me feel old. <laughs> but that wasn't the first one. 359, Constantius II of the Roman Empire, giving a speech to Limagantes. He's asking for loyalty. And one of the uh, attendees, one of the delegates, took a shoe off and threw it at the emperor and shouted, eh, eh, War! <laughs> we want war. 
Well, we're not giving you loyalty. We're here to fight you, buddy. April 7, 2008, Arbab Rahim of Pakistan was leaving the assembly after taking oath of office. And one of the delegates in the room threw a shoe at him and actually hit him. What's the difference in throwing a shoe, giving a shoe, waving a shoe, and taking off a shoe? And it's all the difference in the world. It's the attitude of the heart. And you can say, uh, take your shoe off and throw it at God and say, I, I, I don't want submission. I want war. You want war? Bring it on. And you can take that shoe off and bow humbly and say, Lord, I understand it's not by, my, not by power, but by thy spirit. Why is that? Because Christian soldiers are submissive. submissive. And again, in this 27 verses of chapter 6, I, we stopped at verse 4, and we stopped at verse 8, and we stopped at verse 9, because over and over again, God has given the same requirements every single time. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. Seven priests, seven rams warned. The ark's going to go first. Uh, the, the armed men before that. And uh, nobody's to shout. Nobody's saying the same instructions every time, over and over and over again. Uh, the, it's the details. Now figure out the details and make that happen. God has promised to give the to give the victory, but the victory is in the details. Are you obedient? The promises of God are yea and amen. And again, He is able to do exceeding abundantly. He is able to give the victory. But you look at this city with two walls and a 15-foot no-man's land, and you get your military advisors together, and your brightest military minds are going to say, <laughs> starve them out. Let's just wait. And you can spend your whole life waiting. So you get a group of coal miners, and they say, let's dig under the wall, let's put some big... Uh, explosive charges down there, and let's blow it up. And God doesn't say to do that. And then Joshua says, here's what God said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk down around the wall on day one. And then we're going to walk around the wall on day two. And then on day seven, we're going to walk around the wall seven times. And then we're going to shout, and God's bringing down the wall. And the military minds would have said, that's not a good plan. Not a good plan. There are still lots of people today that will look at the word of the Lord and say, following God is not a good plan. But it is still a good plan. It is never foolish to follow God's direction. And the city was conquered in seven days. Not by might. Not by power but by God's Spirit. Seven priests, speaking of completeness, speaking of your advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, seven ram's horns, speaking of atonement, are you saved? The first step in having spiritual victory is knowing Christ is your Savior. The ark of the Lord was located. There was manna, talking about provision. There was Aaron's rod, 
that spoke of God's power. There were the two tables that spoke of God's law. Are you, are you following those? God is able to supply. He is able to power you. But it's got to be according to His law. Those things all go together. You can't separate say, well, I'm, I'll, I'll take God's power and I'll take God's provision, but I'm going to ignore God's, God's tablets, God's Word. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And just a reminder tonight, as in this day, God is still all that you need. Jericho was about a nine-acre plot. Each day it took them about 30 minutes to walk around. Each man from start to finish. It taken the whole delegation longer. You know how it is in a, a marathon. The people on the front line, they get to start and they're going to cross the finish line first. But by the time you hit the start point to the finish line around that nine acre plot, it took you about 30 minutes. Six days, six times. Seven days, seven times. Military battles are interesting. In 184 B.C., Hannibal, Bithynian, faced a naval battle with a vastly superior force. King Eumenes II, Pergamanian, outnumbered. But anybody that knew anything about Hannibal knew that he had some unorthodox ways of fighting battles. So he looked at all the ships and he said to his men, I want to know which ship has the king on it because I want to know which ship to target. And I'm sure his men looked at him and thought, you know, boss, we're never going to get to that ship because of all the other ships. How do you, how do you think you're going to get to that one? But they did. They identified which ship the king, the king was on. That was the one they were going to focus on. I'm sure all the men were shaking their heads. And then he said, I want you to go out and find all the poisonous snakes that you can find. And he took clay pots and he filled the clay pots with thousands and thousands and thousands of poisonous snakes. And then they got catapults and they took the clay pots with the poisonous snakes. And they let him go. And I'm sure the people on the battleships were going, he's shooting clay pots. Until the clay pots hit the deck, the clay pots shattered, and the poisonous snakes started to attack the soldiers. There were people diving overboard. The fleet was rendered ineffective. And Hannibal got the king's ship. And won the battle. You say, wow, that's innovative. Not near as innovative as this. And God still gives a victory in amazing ways. Typically, God does not do the same thing in the same way twice. Hannibal didn't either. God's going to do something for you. Don't expect God to do it the same way that he did it for someone else. But God still gives the victory in amazing ways if you'll trust Him to be your power, to be your strength, and to be your commander. If you're willing to bow in humility, to yield to Him as a superior force, able 
to do the part of the kinsman redeemer, that you are not able to do that. And he will. If you'll step aside in obedience to God's commands. Many pastors strive to be successful. My Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. My job here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, my focus has never been to be the biggest, the best, the slickest, the smoothest, the most polished guy that is out there. I have never striven, strived, strove, striven, desired to be an executive leader. My focus has been faithful. just want to be faithful to the Lord. Obedient. Leading with you in humility. Promoting among the leaders in the church. Servant leadership. We are not here to lords over God's heritage. We are here to be in samples to the flock. Joshua, that's his leadership. And he takes off that shoe and hands it over. He bows in submission to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's just good leadership. Good leadership in the church, good leadership in the home. It's just the way that Bible-based leadership ought to be. It shouldn't be slick, smooth, polished. Not, not that there's anything the matter with being polished. But it's, again, not by might, not by power but by God's Spirit. So there are those that would attack. They would belittle. They would vilify. They would malign. They would disparage. They would denigrate. But they cannot hurt me. They cannot. My job is to be faithful. To keep walking. Patiently. Consistently. Humbly. Day after day. Until God brings the victory. Doing God's business. I have been here long enough that I have watched friends that have stopped. They have ceased. They have quit. I have had pastor friends who have drifted. They view their job to be successful and to be a big and to have a big platform. And so they set aside God's command, God's word, and they embrace a, a music that is not music, it's noise, and they uh, lower a standards to the point where you, and, and drop the lights to a point where you think you're walking into a nightclub. And that is not success by God's standards. Your job is to keep walking. Whether or not you see an end, Whether or not it makes sense to keep walking, to keep consistent, to stay God-honored, faithfully walk. Seven days. Seven days of dedication. Again, what would, they, what would have happened if they would have stopped? There would have been no victory. We would, chapter 6 would read differently. It would be a life of what if. They had just been obedient to God.
I want to stay at Lighthouse Baptist Church long enough. That when people get right with God and people come back to church and start to put God first in their life, they find me still here. Still walking. Just going around the city. Just being obedient to God. That's, that's the Christian I desire to be. I hope that's the Christian that you desire to be. I want God to find me faithful. I want to run across the goal line successfully. September 15, 2008, Eagles versus the Cowboys, Monday Night Football. Anybody know that? Anybody know? Oh, okay. How about rookie Deshaun Jackson? He was a rookie, his first game, I believe, uh, first time Monday night football, and uh, he ran a perfect pattern. And he was open. He was wide open. Caught the ball and ran to the end zone. And as he got to the end zone in celebration, he set the ball down. Thinking he could see the line, he had crossed it. But he didn't cross the line, and the ball was down on the one-yard line because he dropped the ball one yard too early. Don't drop the ball. Don't celebrate too soon. Go all the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he have? He had a missed opportunity. The Eagles fell to the Cowboys, 41 to 37. And the world remembers his rookie season as a case of celebrating too soon and Theo don't drop the ball your dad and I aren't getting any younger it's hard for us to imagine in 10 years you could be married with kids that's frightening be a deacon you'd be the pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church Ten years, you'll be graduated from college and setting a course. I need you to run all the way. Don't you dare stop short of the goal line. Don't you drop the ball. Because in ten years, your dad and I will be in the old folks' home, probably, <laughs> in our wheelchairs. We want to be cheering you on. Go all the way for the Lord. Jericho was a stronghold, but the walls came down. Everything except for Rahab, as God had commanded. Destroy everything? It seems harsh, doesn't it? Seems like the thing to do. I mentioned this morning, last time I'll bring this up. Miss Bishop, very special to me, the only girl who never broke my heart. But when I met Mrs. Bishop, I didn't have to deal with the past because I burned all the pictures and all the letters and got rid of all the stuff from anybody who was... Didn't, didn't our wedding vows say, and forsaking all others, keep thee only unto her? I didn't keep pictures and stuff. I didn't do that. Didn't do that. Many Christians want victory. 
or they don't want to deal with their past. Many Christians desire victory, but they don't want to deal with the one obstacle that is keeping them from victory. Many Christians want victory, but they will not bow in submission to the Lord who wants to give them victory. Many Christians say they want victory and bow, but won't hand over the shoe that says, I know I can't do it, but you can, and I trust the one who can to do it. What kind of Christian are you? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. What are you keeping? Music, idols, trinkets. What do you got hidden at home? File on a computer? Something from your mom and dad? Something not necessarily vile, it's just against the rules of the house. God knows it's there and you know it's there. And you're not going to have victory until you deal with it. You're a Christian here tonight and say, Preacher, there's something in my life that's not right. I've got hidden away. It's an obstacle. It's something I've been fighting. I've tried to fight other battles, but I never dealt with that one thing. And I need to deal with that. Would you pray for me? God, help me deal with that one thing so I can go forward in victory. Preacher, pray for me tonight. Okay. Let me pray for you. Father, there are some Christians in the room, and they understand. They desire victory. They want victory. They want and understand that it is only through you. I pray that you would help them to deal with that thing that is holding them back, that one area of submission, that one obstacle that is in their past, and they know it's there, and they've just not dealt with it. I pray that you'd help them to deal with it, and that you would give them the victory according to your word, and do exceeding abundantly above all that they ask or think. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this evening. You do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not saved. I need to be saved. Flip your hand up. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed. There's no shame in admitting that you have a need. That's what smart people do. I have a need. My, my problem is sin. Jesus Christ is the solution. Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm not saved. Hold your hand up. Let me pray for you. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads bowed. The piano is playing. The altar's open.